Hi, I'm Biz. I'm a working parent with a kid and a teen. It's been 10 years since the show began, and a lot has changed on the show and in the world. But by elevating the voices of others, we have learned we are not alone, and we are doing a good job. This is still a show about life after giving life. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, you are not a shitty parent. We welcome back Dr. Carla Nomberg to discuss self-compassion, plus Biz encourages bar setting. Woo! I'm calling with a chicken. Um, okay. How am I? Well, <laughs> my one-year-old has hand, foot, mouth, and uh, I have a four-year-old who is complaining that he possibly has, like, a sore throat and stuff, which I think is related, and the one-year-old last night was not having the whole sleep situation. Very uncomfortable, very sad. My husband and I were like taking turns, trying to figure out how we were gonna get him to sleep. And then my husband said, look, I was gonna stay up anyway. He tends to go to bed later than me. He said, let me just keep him and I'll just keep him comfortable. We won't worry about sleep. You go to bed, put on your headphones and just try to sleep over the crying. And so I did. And I said, wake me up in an hour, and then we'll just trade off. And instead, I woke up when my alarm went off at 545, because my husband just let me sleep. And not going to lie, this one-year-old typically sleeps next to me in bed. And so he didn't sleep next to me in bed, which meant only the four-year-old slept next to me in bed, which meant I slept amazingly. So how am I? I'm good. My husband's miserable. My husband's probably uh-huh. devastatingly exhausted. But I'm okay. And I'm feeling very grateful. And my husband is doing a good job. My kids are doing their best. I guess I'm doing okay. I don't know. I'm just long for the ride. Um, anyway, I really appreciate you, Biz and Teresa. I still see you. And I love you. And I hope, hope everyone is doing okay. Thanks for the hotline. It's always nice to talk to somebody. Oh, what a good check-in. <laughs> it is amazing what a little rest will do. Now, we all know getting an actual night. I, I, I don't even want to go into like, oh, an actual night's sleep, but everything's still fucked up. I really like and appreciate and want to say that I saw you say the one-year-old was not with me in bed. The four-year-old was. Right, because clearly your story is that both children are always in bed with you while you're sleeping at night, which is really not good, but is a thing that happens to all of us. And because, like, what do we say on the show? If you're getting sleep, then let it happen. I'm like, Ellis, just get on in the bed. I don't even care. I gotta stay asleep. I can't wake up and help you. You'll fall asleep in the bed. We all need sleep. So good job. Also, compliment your partner. Good job of him just saying, I'm just going to let my partner sleep. And I've got it tonight. And you're right. Everybody's probably insane. But that's okay. You can get the sleep. And I think it's great. And I am sorry that your youngest has hand, foot, and mouth disease because that's a fucking nightmare. And I'm sorry that people aren't sleeping well. And I am glad you got some sleep on one night. I'm sure that will fix everything.
speaking of fixing everything, where I was going to go with that was I was going to talk about how we have this expectation that we'll catch up to the sleep we've lost. That we're going to catch up to our tired, right? We're tired. And we've learned that that is a ridiculous bar to set because you, you're never going to catch up to it. Uh, you sleep for like a whole week, but there, <laughs> it's not, you're just maintaining the place that you are. Then it will go a little lower and you'll learn how to live there. And then you will maintain that. But it's just all about setting the bar of expectations. And I'm here to share a little story about bar setting. So it was a week, a week or so ago, of welcome back to school class parties and different events in which they were all potlucks. So you had to bring something. And I had this one mom come up to me and say, all right, Biz, what is... What do I need to do here? Do I need to make something from scratch or can I just go to Costco and get some muffins? And I look right at her and I said, get the thing that sets the tone for how we want this year to go. Yes, somebody will bring something handmade and it will be delicious. Somebody brought a homemade cake. And what do we say? Cake is cake and cake is good. I will eat that cake. And it was fucking delicious. You know what was also good? Those Costco muffins, they were also fucking good. I'm going to tell you, I'm all about that. It's just taking that pressure off. Whenever we have an opportunity to bring something to an event like that, I say, if you are of the, I just want to go pick it up from the store camp, or even if you are a amazing cake maker or amazing taco maker or empanada, whatever, you're really good at making stuff. Sometimes the fates don't allow it because of work or sick kids or whatever. And then you got to go pick something up from the store. And if we've all just agreed that that is acceptable by being the one who brought the store-bought stuff at the beginning of the year, then we're good. Just so everybody knows, the potluck spread at the preschool kinder back-to-school event. You know, that's high stakes. Preschool kinder, that tends to be the place where everybody's like, I'm putting too much pressure on myself. <laughs> there was some sort of homemade like Hungarian stew in a Le Crusette. And right next to it was a giant Subway sandwich cut up into pieces. <laughs> and I was like, I love these parents. <laughs> this is how you set a bar. So I thought I would share that as my check-in and as my unsolicited speaking of setting bars. I am so excited to welcome back Dr. Carla Nomberg who is going to talk about her new book and the new place she's at in her life. That new book is called You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. This week, I am so happy to welcome back to the show Dr. Carla Nomberg, author of the best-selling How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, who is back to flip the script on this destructive mindset in her new book, You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break, which is coming out so soon, September 27th. 
You will also remember her from episode 181 and 322. She might as well be co-hosting with me at this point. Welcome back, Carla. I am here and I feel like everybody heard it. I just got a job offer. Y'all heard it. Yeah. So I'm in co-host. Yeah. <laughs> it's now the show with Biz and Carla. There it is, Biz and Carla. Because alphabetical. Yeah, that's that it is. Just two more white women telling you to stop <laughs> feeling bad about yourself. Two more white women telling you how to parent, because that's what parent. we all need in this it's world. Not enough. There's not enough of this in the world. But what is unique, Carla, about you? is you were being very honest with people when it comes to how to parent. But before we get into that, I have to ask you what I've asked you twice before, and I always love to see how things have evolved. Who lives in your house? Who lives in my house? My husband. Okay. We survived COVID together. Mm -hmm. We did. Nice. I have two daughters, and they are now 13 and 12. So we have been like neck deep in puberty. Yeah! For the past two years. So that's, yeah, that's real. That that's a is real, real. Yeah. That's real. And I have two cats and that I had to like, I had to close multiple doors outside my office. Otherwise, <laughs> you would hear them banging on the doorknob the whole time. Meow. So you should be impressed that we only have two cats because the amount of conversations we had yeah. about multiple yeah. cats during yeah. the lockdown, a lot of conversations. Okay. I want to take us on a little trip with the titles of your book. Oh, you were wow. once, yeah, you were here, episode 181, back in 2016. Oh, I was such a little peanut. I know. I think I was probably at maybe my most broken that year. Anyway. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, you know, it's okay. We're all better now. Anyway, <clears throat> that book was called Ready, Set, Breathe. How did you even have me on the podcast with that book? Weren't you just like, oh, God, this I did. is so earnest we and about gross? It. Yes, I pulled up my old notes. Practicing mindfulness with your children for fewer meltdowns and a more peaceful family. And I believe my first question to you was, really? Anyway. That <laughs> That's my first question for me about that book. I know. Okay. I want everybody to join us on this evolution. Okay. Then. <laughs> it's a great book. Everybody go buy it. It's a great it book. Is, it was a very helpful book. And you were very nice to come on and explain mindfulness because I was calling bullshit on it. Now, here we are. Episode 322, 2019 just before the pandemic. And you came out with a book called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, which yeah. I thought was an amazing shift from <laughs> ready, set, shift. breathe to stop losing. And now here we are, just a short two years, three years later. And I'm back with more shit. And you're back, but now it's, you're not a shitty parent. All right, it's like a journey. Right. I feel like we're at the end of a journey, but that that journey has just brought us back to like a beginning that we should have like started at almost, you know, just to like we finally are at this place of stop feeling like shit for being a parent. Right. You're like so deep right now. I know. I'm about to take us deeper. So now I want to ask you, how did you get here to this book? And what did you need to hear from yourself writing this book? Oh, my goodness, Biz. I do not mean to sound like a total suck up, but that is one of the best questions I have been asked about this whole process. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Little crown for you. Love question crown. crown. Oh, God. Now I have to put I cohesive thoughts together about this. Eh. Look, I. OK, so part of this was about my sense of myself as a parent. Yeah. And part of it was about my sense of myself as a writer. 
right? Right. So let's do the writer thing first because that's super easy. I had yeah. just come out of finishing my PhD where everybody's uptight and you have to use the right yeah. words and like use proper grammar and oh. blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was how you had to write books. So my first two books were like appropriate. Right. And <laughs> there was no swearing because I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. And then after I wrote Ready, Set, Breathe, I got an agent and I sent my agent a whole bunch of book ideas and she was like, no, yeah. and I got rejected a million times. And then I started reading, well, I've always been reading the New York Times bestseller list. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's all these books with profanity. Oh, I know. Yeah, right? Right? And I was like, well, shit, if that's all it takes, <laughs> okay, I could do that. And so right. then I was on a hike with my husband and our kids weren't with us because I can only think like thoughts when yeah. my kids aren't with me. Yeah. And I was like, hey, babe, I should write a book called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. And he's like, you should write that book. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And we did it. it. I mean, I did it. He didn't do it. Yeah, but he, he didn't do me it the whole time. He, he, that's he nice. cooks for me. So that's he gets nice. lots of credit. Okay. So that's like the, the writer thing. Once I let go of like the stuffy stick up my butt academic yeah. writing, I could like embrace my voice, which is very profane and sweary and sarcastic. Like that's just <laughs> who I am in the world. Right. And one of the best things about having teens and tweens is we, yes. we now can use profanity with them oh. in the home. Yeah, it's the best. And they're and learning. They're learning. Like I have to say to them, you can't say these words around your grandparents. Other, yeah, exactly. You can't say them at school. Yeah. Adults don't want to hear you say them. Except me. Except me. You're right. Except this house. Yeah. This is our I love want... language. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the professional writerly <laughs> evolution. In terms of my evolution as a parent, you know, my first two books, the first one was called Parenting in the Present Moment. It's just as like touchy-feely and earnest and blah, blah, blah. And it's also a great book, but it's different. Right. I, I think I was, I didn't know who I was as a parent. I felt like I was totally screwing things up as a parent. I was searching for advice, right? Right. And trying to give myself that advice from a place of there is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm right. going to be a good parent. Right. There's a, there's got to be a boundary, a box, right? That I can get into that's yeah. going to hell. I can, there, right? I'm totally with you on that. So that is not a thing. No, it's not. It's a horrible falsehood. But I'm just saying. Yeah, right. I, exactly. I'm there with you. I've been there multiple times. I believed in that box. Some days I still do. I wanted to be in it, but it, it, it just doesn't exist. I and know. so by the time I got to how to stop losing your shit with your kids, like that, that was very personal work for me, right? It still is. And what I really wanted to say was like, you know, I really wanted the title of the book to be something like how to lose your shit with your kids a little bit less. Yeah. But publishers are like, that's not quite as compelling. And I was like, well, it's a little more honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you that I do lose my shit with my kids a whole lot less than I used to. Yeah. Like really. And it was hard work and it's all in that book. And so how did we get from that book to this book? Okay, so I wrote that book. It came out right, you know, a few months before the pandemic. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and we were all losing our shit all over the place because that's because like all you can do when you're stuck at home with kids and you're trying to work in school and you're terrified and all the things. Yeah. And my agent wanted me to write another book. And I was like, I don't want to give parents more advice right now. We don't need advice. We need someone to tell us that we're not terrible and yeah. we're not screwing everything up and somehow things are going to be okay eventually, even though I just want to pause and acknowledge that for many families, things will never be never okay. Never be okay. Right. In the same way again. But I, I wasn't, I, I just, I was not going to write a book that was like, here's how to do this thing better. Right. Right. Because I couldn't hear that. Like I stopped reading any sort of self-help yeah. books during the pandemic. All I'm reading now is romance. Nice. We talked on the show about how you get a baby. 
And like whoever gave you that baby, a doctor, body, they should just give you like romance novels or something similar to that. Right. To just- I don't want anything that's going to give me yeah. uncomfortable feelings because I've already got enough of those. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want more for my books. <laughs> I want happy feelings where everything works out in the end. Yes. So finally, I was like, what is getting me through this damn pandemic? It is self-compassion. And that is the thing that when I first learned about it, Biz, I was like, this is so gross. I don't even want to hear about this. Right. I was thinking about Stuart Smalley on Saturday yeah. Night Live. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Right? I'm good enough. I'm smart I'm enough. Smart and enough. gosh darn it, people like me. And we all laughed at that because it's ridiculous. Thankfully, that is not what self-compassion is. So, Well, I want to say, I recently went back and watched that and showed it to Raiden, my teen. We watched it and... You know, Raiden's like, oh, funny, and, but didn't think it was that funny. And I realized that Stefan and I were watching it as well, not thinking it was that funny because it was so sweet and true on right, some level. Like right. he would have this really bad moment that he'd be like, I'm okay. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. You're going to be okay, man. I know. I think what rings hollow about that is that yeah. I wouldn't use those words, right? right. Those aren't my words. And so we all have to find our way of treating ourselves with compassion that feels authentic to us. And for some people, that really earnest voice is their language. And so if that's right. what works for you, do totally do that. But as your listeners can probably hear by now, that's not my voice. And yeah. so talking to myself that way isn't going to work. But the whole point of self-compassion is just noticing when we're suffering. And gosh, a lot of us have been doing a whole lot of real legit suffering lately yeah. and responding to ourselves with kindness and curiosity and finding ways to connect to the people who treat us with compassion as well. And I feel like so many of us have just been feeling alone and like we're screwing everything up and we suck. And that just feels awful and makes parenting so much worse. Yeah. You know, I feel like pre-pandemic, that certainly was a theme that we've touched on here. And I think inherently anybody with open eyes can see that the moment a kid winds up in your house, the self-judging starts, the judging of others, right? The beating yourself, the overthinking, the up at one o'clock in the morning, the how come I didn't try this or yeah. better yet, have you tried? Have you even thought about this from somebody else, right? I'm like, yes, I have thought about it, but I'm a shell of a person. I can't <laughs> do it. Right? You were like, oh, you want me to make a list? Like, what? And isolation, yeah, which, so which I feel is so grossly under-discussed in terms of you can be surrounded by people and how isolating parenting can make you feel and disconnected. Then the pandemic comes in. And like you said, it just took all of that. I honestly can only vaguely imagine what it would be like to be a parent who had a child during, like we've been talking to several parents who had kids during COVID and they're like, I took my child to the store for the first time and they're three. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Wow. That is a thing. That is a, that is a thing. That is a life you are living right now. And that is, that's so much, right? So I'm yelling all of this because it is a very easy place to be, okay? To be not very compassionate with ourselves. Oh, okay? yeah. And so I guess I want to know 
in a non-touchy-feely way, and you are able to achieve this with your book, but I'd like to talk about it some. How the fuck are we supposed to do it? How am I supposed to do that? Like, compassion seems like a word that is, like, like a made-up word. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to, like, implement (laughs) self-compassion. I love this question. So, look, I am an extremely concrete thinker, and people will come at me with these big words, and I'll be like, I don't know what that means. Like, the other day, my husband and I got in a fight because he's like, somehow we ended up in a conversation about what it means to be a good parent. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't yeah. know. I have a PhD in this baloney and I have written four books and I don't, right. I don't know. He's like, oh no, it's easy. It's unconditional love. And I was like, well, what does that mean? What like, does that mean? I don't- okay. So I will always love my kids, but if I love them, but I'm being a total dick to them, is yeah. that unconditional love and good parenting? Like literally tell yeah. me what that looks like because right. that is how my brain works. So when I think about compassion, I like you Biz, needed to be like, okay, but what does that look like? Right. How do I do that? Don't don't tell me to open my heart. I don't know what opening my heart means. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. Like episodes of ER go through my mind right. because if you watch ER, they're just doing like open heart surgery in the All emergency the time. room. I don't know what that means. That's how that's literally how concrete my brain is. <laughs> so two of the top researchers, I just have to give them a shout out. Kristen Neff out of Texas and Christopher Germer out of Cambridge. Bunch of other people are doing this work. But going through the research, going, reading the books, doing all this, I came up with three practices. And when practices, I mean things that you actually do. And when you first start doing them, you might suck completely at them. But that's why yeah. you practice. You practice to get better, right? Wait, could we apply that to parenting? Yeah. You suck at it. Parenting is a practice. But Here's that, the problem, yeah. though. Here's uh, the problem. Everybody's that, watching you. Oh, well, that too. But the other problem is is you're like practicing this thing, like changing a diaper. And then the minute you get really good at changing a diaper, it's time to potty train them. So you're like constantly practicing, but then the rules in the game get changed completely. And then you start practicing all over again. And it's fucking exhausting. Okay. So the the three practices of self-compassion that I use in the book are connection. And we'll talk about this. I mean, something very specific, curiosity and kindness. So I give a bunch of like different ways to practice all these, but let's just boil this down to like some really basic ones. Good. So I like to think of self-compassion as a language that we are learning to speak. And most of us didn't grow up speaking this language because our parents didn't grow up speaking it. And so they couldn't teach it to us because their parents never speak like, you know, right. It's just not a thing we talked about in Western culture for a very long time. There are different ways to learn a language. And one of them is is hanging out with native speakers, people who will speak this language to you. So who are your native speakers of self-compassion? Who are the people that when you are in like the shittiest headspace, you've totally screwed up or you just think you screwed up or it doesn't even matter what you did, but you feel like crap, you can call them up and they're not going to come at you with like, oh yeah, you really suck, dude. Like that, yeah. I would not tell you. You did that? Right. We All this <laughs> stuff, like call the, I, hopefully you don't have people in your life who do that, that you hang out with. I mean, some of us unfortunately get stuck with those folks, but hopefully you can get away with from them. Right. But call up the people who are going to be like, oh, my God, yeah, I totally did that. Or, wow, yeah, that sucks, but you're still a great parent. Like, no parent is perfect and you don't have to be perfect to be great. But who are the ones that are going to, like, laugh with you and just be there and hear your story without judging you and stay on the phone? And even if they're judging the crap out of you, they'd never let you know that. Right. They don't. They do that with their partner later. That's right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. Right? But they don't tell you. So it is all their fault that that's happening. (laughs) 
But look, when we're having the shit moment, for so many of us, it's like, close the windows, drop the shades, like turn on the TV, grab the brownies, and don't talk to anybody until you somehow emerge from your shithole, right? Right. And what I'm saying is don't do that. Find the people in your life. And I'm not saying you need to go out and overshare with every person you find on the playground, because we've all been on the receiving end of those awkward moments, and that's like not what we want. (laughs) But hopefully you have your people, right? And whether it's a good friend or whether it's your therapist or whether it's your minister or rabbi or imam or, you know, the pediatrician, like, who are these people that you feel comfortable doing with this? Go to them and talk to them, right? Right. If you're lucky enough to have it be your partner, that's amazing. But not all of us have parenting partners. Not all of us have partners, whatever. Right. So that's the connection piece. And then the more you do that, instead of listening to your own shit voice telling you how much you suck, you're listening to their voice, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's connection. The next one is curiosity, which is like the antidote to judgment. Okay. So curiosity, if you think about it, is a fundamentally compassionate practice because it's saying, I see that you're a mess and I'm still here wanting to learn more. I'm not running away. I'm not shutting down this conversation. Like, you know, you've got a teenager, you ask them a question that they don't want to talk about and they have like a million different ways to shut you down. Oh yeah. Because they don't want to talk about it either because they're scared or they're unhappy with you or whatever it is. But when you are curious with yourself, that's a gift. And it says, I'm not scared of what I might find, right? Because so many times when we're scared- That's scary! It's terrifying, right? <laughs> ah! It's okay. It's I mean, I'm just saying- I like- But look, for me, I have had to learn over the years when I am losing my shit with my kids to like stop and breathe and take time to calm down and then literally say to myself, what the hell is going on? Like, why did I lose it? What do I need? And then here's the trick. You got to listen to yourself. You got to take yourself seriously. And sometimes it's like, oh, I need food because I become a cranky bitch when I'm hungry and I have no self-control. And I'm actually not a terrible person. I just need a sandwich. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, actually the world is burning down around me. And I keep looking at my damn phone and seeing the terrible news and I can't control it and I can't do anything about it. And I need to put away my damn phone. So when we are curious, we can start to get a better sense of what's going on. And often the reality is actually not as horrible about ourselves right. as the story we're making up in our minds. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Right? Like, well, I mean, sometimes the story about the outside world is like way worse yeah, than we actually think it is. And that's when show. you have to like yeah. turn away your phone. Okay. So we have connection. We have curiosity. Yes. And then we have kindness, which I think of as like the opposite of contempt. So when I first started learning about self-compassion and I, you know, got over my eye-rolling, you know, behaviors right. and I started listening to my own voice, I was like, holy shit. I I literally don't talk to my worst enemies this enemy way. Like I don't really this, have enemies. Yeah. Maybe I should get some. I feel like I need an enemy. Do you want to be enemies? No, I be. like you. <laughs> no, I need an But anyways, like if too. I had oh, like a nemesis. Yes. I don't think I would even talk to them this way. I would think it, but I wouldn't say it. But then I'm like thinking it to myself constantly. Like I'm a shitty mother. I'm screwing up my kids. Like they are suffering because of the choices I make. (laughs) Everybody else on this planet is doing better than me. (laughs) Literally. How is that helpful? It's not helpful. helpful. It's not true. And it made me so much more likely to like lose my shit with my kids because I was all tense and stressed and pissy. So kindness, there's a lot of ways to treat yourself with kindness, but the big one is just kind self-talk. Right. So this is going back and finding your authentic version of Stuart Smalley. Yeah. 
So for me, this is what it looks like. I will literally go stand at the kitchen counter and put my hands flat on the counter because for some reason that calms me down. And I just remind myself, parenting is hard for everyone. And just reminding myself that, saying those words, even if in that moment I don't actually believe it. Right. Even though I know it's true, but when I get into a really bad headspace. Yeah, no, you're not, yeah. You're like, some people are getting this right. Look at that lady on Instagram. Look at Biz, she has a podcast. Clearly she is nailing parenting because she- <laughs> Clearly I am nailing it. Right, but do you, like, it's so, <laughs> yeah. my brain can so easily go to that place yeah. of everybody of else is doing this right. Yeah. And so I have to, I remind myself, parenting is hard for everyone. Just because it's hard doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. Right? Because all these like social media people. I know. Make it seem like if you do parenting right, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. But whatever that means. If you do it right, it will be easy. And I can so easily (laughs) believe that. And that's just bullshit. It's not true. It's not true. I remember being like, maybe if I painted everything white and I made my kid's room look just like a Pottery Barn catalog, then they would be as happy and I would be as happy as the people in those catalogs. Right. We like, all have our what? things. But the thing that you don't yeah. see on the Pottery Barn catalog is the place where they, kids. they photoshopped <laughs> out the boogers that the kid has wiped on the wall. I know. Or the crying or the poop stain. Pa- I know. But our brains can go to that place. Well, you call it the big lie. It's such a right? big lie. Yeah. That you, like, that you're the only one. And only that. One. It should be enjoyable. That was one of my favorite things you said. The big lie that this is supposed to be enjoyable. When people ask me, like, school's back finally. And it was the longest fucking summer I've ever had in my entire life. And they said, how's your summer? And I say, I hate summer. I don't like it. I like it, in theory, as like an individual, right? And I am a good parent, but I don't like parenting. Right. I've just decided I'm going to be really honest with people everywhere I go. Like, I don't enjoy it. And I think that lie that it's supposed to be enjoyable and that we're supposed to want to be doing it. And that if we don't want it and it's not fun, that we are really failing right. at it. And I hate that so much, Carla. I hate that narrative. It's all so confusing and contradictory and that I don't even know how to talk about it really because look, here's all the thoughts I'm thinking. On the one hand, being a mom is like at the core of who I am, Sure. right? Like I'm one of those parents and clearly you are too because you started this podcast and I'm writing these damn books that like we spend a lot of time thinking about and processing and trying to make sense of what it means to be a parent, right? Because I definitely know parents who... Didn't do that. They like kept doing their job in accounting or science or engineering, whatever, like electrician. I don't know. And they're great parents too. This is not a diss. It's just different ways of approaching it. Oh, don't worry. I can spend hours being envious of those people. Oh, you want to know my fantasy job? Quote thinking less about their. No, no, my fantasy job, Biz. This is terrible. It doesn't exist anymore. I wanted to go work in a toll booth on the highway. Because it's like a little tiny contained space and nobody talks to you. And you just turn on your little radio and your space heater and like take the money. Yeah. But that doesn't exist anymore. That job is gone. I need a new fantasy job. Uh, I'm really screwed on this. Okay. (laughs) But look, here's what I'm saying though. Sometimes I truly and deeply enjoy being with my kids, especially the older they get. Like we've started playing cards together and we're extremely snarky and we talk a whole lot of shit when we're playing cards. And that is like one of my happy places. Right. Yeah. And sometimes... 
I don't like being with them and they don't like being with me. And I know yes. this. And it's all the things. But the crazy thing is like, I don't know how to make sense of this. I don't know how to talk about it in a neat packaged way. And yeah. on social media, that's what it has to be, right? Right. And I feel like depending on the crowd you run in, either it's like the snarky women who are like, I'm not winning yeah. any parenting of the year awards here. Or it's right. like, I just, you know, came up with this new Montessori inspired way to organize the kids' toys in the playroom. And I rotate them out every two and a half weeks for maximum toy engagement. <laughs> and like, there's no room for those of us in the middle who are like, yeah, sometimes parenting sucks. And sometimes it's the yeah. greatest time of my life. And no, I don't. Like, we have Barbie heads rolling around. Is that a Montessori yeah. thing? I don't know. Maybe it is. Yeah. Decapitate maybe. Barbie's cool. And, yeah, I stayed up late to make my kid a friendship bracelet before she went to overnight camp because I wanted her to have it. Right. Right? So it's, like, all the things. But here's what I will tell you, Biz. I don't know. I don't tell know me. the answer to any of this. I don't know the answer to anything. Okay. But what I do know is I'm done talking about myself like I'm a shitty parent. Because whether or not See? I enjoy parenting all the time, I will tell you, I'm not a perfect mother, Got but it. I'm a good one. And... I'm ready to say that. And it actually took me years to be able to say that. Yeah. I just yell at people. Stop feeling like shit for being a parent. I am with you. I am on team shitty parent. Like I, like I'm so on board with that because I, everybody else has plenty of time and space to tell you that you're a shitty parent. It should not be us. It's all right. I want to something else I really liked. FYI, everybody, the book's fucking hilarious. And it makes you feel better about the job that you're doing. You tell this story at the beginning of like a fictional story of going camping and everybody shoots arrows at you. Oh, yeah. And I'm doing a deep injustice by saying that's all the story is. But it's a metaphor for parenting. And you're on this beautiful, happy, nobody ever has a bad time on this hike, hike, and then suddenly arrows start coming at you. You get hit by the first arrows. Ow, they hurt. And then here come the second arrows. That's like just getting stabbed into the already open wound. And there's like, there's this round of arrows. And then you talk about what these actually are, what this means. And I love this. You describe it like this. First arrows aren't second arrows and vice versa. Remembering the difference between first and second arrows is crucial to your self-compassion practice. Here's the short version. First arrows are the shit that happens to you. And second arrows are how you think about and respond to that Shit. And then you give examples. These are great. Crappy childhood, first arrow. Blaming yourself for struggling with parenting because you have zero role models, second arrow. I love how simple you made this with the metaphor and symbology of arrows. Talk to me more about the arrows And this, like, because I feel like if we repeat it enough that they're not the same eras, right? That they are, that one thing is existing and that's real. But this other thing, maybe not so real. Yeah. And look, Biz, I would love more than anything to sit here and explain to you how I brilliantly came up with this metaphor. Oh, I know. You did this really brilliant. It was all my brain. No. And as any of your listeners who are familiar with Buddhist teachings will know... Yes. This came from the Buddha, who was 
and I'm not saying this with any sarcasm, um, his understanding of human psychology and human functioning is mind-blowingly wise. Like, it is amazing what you can accomplish when you sit under a tree for 40 days without a kid bothering you. I know. I can't even I, write an email in four hours. I, but this is, I don't know if, I am. I do not identify as Buddhist, but I, I feel very grateful for Buddhist teachings. And I don't know if they would identify this as a sacred story, but I want to acknowledge that all profanity aside, this story is a sacred teaching in my mind. And so I just want to acknowledge that this came from Buddhist teachings yeah. and that I am immensely grateful for it. So the idea is that, you know, pain in life is not optional, but suffering is. But here's the thing. Most of us aren't really enlightened enough that we're ever going to get past the right. suffering. So I like the first and second arrow, which is this idea that shit happens in life. And those are the first arrows. You get an ingrown toenail, you miss right. a rent payment, you get a flat tire, your kid gets, you know, a diagnosis of ADHD or something else that you have to figure yeah. out. Like, this is the shit that happens. That's the first arrow. And it's, they're painful. It Like, this stuff legit hurts. And during COVID, it's like those arrows were being slung at us so much harder and faster all the time, right? And for some folks in life in general, and also during COVID, those arrows left scars and damage that will never be fixed. So the second arrow is, it's about the story that we tell ourselves about what happened. So if you miss a mortgage payment or rent payment, is it like, oh, if you are saying to yourself, oh, I can't get my shit together and I'm screwing this up and I don't know how to adult and I can't even stay on top of these basic bills and I am the worst person and how I'm going to pay da, 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 the whole story. That's a really awful second arrow. So yeah. why don't you not sling that at yourself? And why don't you try for, you know what? I've got a ton of balls in the air and everybody drops one sometimes. And it was a mistake and I'll move on, right? Yeah. That's so much less of a sharp second arrow. And so a lot of parenting advice, paradoxically, is about the first arrows, right? If you get a kid who's not a sleeper, that's actually a first arrow problem. Right. And sometimes there are solutions to it. And some people <laughs> will have insomnia their entire lives. There's no solving that problem. But there are a million books out there about how to get a fussy kid to eat, how to potty train, right. you know, what, how to, you know, um, take care of a kid who has an emotional or physical or mental disability. These are all first era problems. And yes, of course, we want to try to prevent them or fix them when we can. But so many of them are not preventable. They're not fixable. It's life, right? And you got to kind of muddle through it. And the problem is, if you can't fix that first arrow, nobody ever talks about the second arrow. There's no advice for what to do right. when you can't fix this thing. It's like, like somebody used to write a book, like how to live a shitty life. Like, how do you do that? Right. Like, how do you like live when life is horrible? But our culture for so long, and I want to say Western culture, because I think Eastern culture, specifically Buddhism, does such a beautiful job of acknowledging that life is fundamentally suffering. And right. when we hear that in the West, we're like, no, 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 that sucks. I should be happy. And I have 27 books here that are going to tell me all the things to do to be happy. If I just do them, I'm going to be happy. That's apparently how Western culture speaks. That's it's very perky. And when, I, It's very perky. And when, when you read and learn about these ideas that life and parenting are just fundamentally brutal, like hard, it's not actually depressing to me. It's kind of a relief. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, all this hardness, that's normal. That's okay. I'm doing this. Like, I'm. Just, that's just life, you know? The sun raises up in, in the morning and shit happens. And that doesn't mean... <laughs> 
I'm screwing everything up. It just means I'm here being present in my life and trying to raise another human. And who the hell knows how to do that? There's probably one person who's really great at it. No. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. You refuse? No, look, we're all great at it and we all suck at it. And that's... That's true. And I don't... My brain doesn't like holding two contradictory ideas at the same time because that makes my head hurt. But it's true. Yeah. You get to have both. You get to hate it and also be good at it or enjoy it at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So do you think this sort of systematic cycle, this in place, I mean, this is not the newest thing. We've been beating ourselves up for years and shaming ourselves and second arrow stabbing ourselves. Is that uniquely, does it thrive in parenthood more than it does other areas of our life. And I could, you're very good in the book acknowledging that gender has nothing to do with how shitty you can feel as a parent, which I appreciate. But also there are stories and narratives that have been told for a really long time in how we experience. I don't know. Like, so that's my big deep question. Is this is this unique to parenting? I guess that's really what I want to ask. We don't have to go down the like intersectionality I... of feminism and parenting. Oh but my God, you just said intersectionality in my I little know. social like work it? heart like grew five times. Oh. I know. Do you like it? Ah! Oh, your moment with that word. Okay. I... Um, <laughs> it's such a it's such an important idea. Okay. I don't know okay. if this so in the book. I make up a diagnosis that I just make up yeah. because when you're writing your own book, this is one of the cool things, but you can just make You can shit do up. whatever the fuck you want. That's yeah. right. Now, just for the record, self-compassion is an evidence-based practice with a lot of research, but shitty parent syndrome is what I made up. And there's no evidence yeah. for that other than my thoughts. Life. Life. Right. Other than the lived experience of so many parents. Right. <laughs> Talking to people. <laughs> I think lots of people beat themselves up over non-parenting things. I just, yeah. the problem is... I don't remember my life before I had kids. It's all just a blur right. of free time that I don't know how I filled. And so yeah. I don't want to make that comparison. But what I will say is based on my totally non-representative sample of asking the various fathers in my life, like my my husband and, you know, friends and blah, blah, blah. To be honest, most are white men who live in the Northeast. So it's a really not representative sample. Men do not necessarily seem to struggle with this as much as women do. And I think it's because a lot of theories and ideas over many generations have blamed moms. Like yeah. we used to think that schizophrenia, which we now know is clearly like a chemical, physical, like it's like an illness, right? We used to think it's because right. you had a shitty mom. Yeah, no, right. So or, like, we've been yeah. blaming moms for stuff for a very long time. And also I think because so many moms are the default parents, that there are these expectations that have come along with how we should be parenting and how successful we are and blah, blah, blah. Whereas like a dad shows up and like dumps some crackers on a plate and everyone's like, look, he fed the kid. Yay. Right. And I, I think that's a really shitty narrative for moms and dads. And dads. Yeah, like, I agree. Dads, yeah. there's so many dads that want to be home with their kids, that want to be more involved with child rearing and so many that already are. Right. Yeah. So many amazing dads. And there is the, the parenting conversation is really dominated by moms right now, which on the one hand, it is because we don't get paid as much money to do the same work. So sometimes financially, it just makes a lot of sense for mom to stay home. Also, let's acknowledge there are gay couples out there and gay families yes. and also single parents. So I don't want to say that like every parent has a mom and a dad. 
Right. Every family, I mean, because that's not true. But in the families that have moms and dads, everybody's kind of getting screwed by the narrative and by the imbalance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So life is here, suffering. Here, here. Yeah. See, again, more life is suffering. That's Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> well, Carla, thank you for coming on and reminding us that life is suffering. Deep thoughts. Yeah, Carla deep Nunberg. thoughts with Carla Nunberg. Seriously, though, thank you for writing this book. It is all of the books have things that are insightful and helpful, but this, for our audience, for this show, a place where I would like to think people come to hear they're doing a good job <laughs> regardless, this is the book. This book is funny. It is compassionate to its reader. And I think it is one of the most critical messages we could be telling ourselves is to stop feeling like shit about what we're doing. And I do want to acknowledge that at the beginning, I really appreciate you going into, so you think you, you maybe you really are a shitty parent after you've tried to explain that you're not a shitty parent. And then you go there, you talk about like verbal, physical abuse, drug addiction, things like that. And you explain the difference that that doesn't mean you're a, a shitty parent. It means that you need assistance. Yeah, I mean, that you need and it, with such compassion and empathy. And I think that holds true to a way for us to move beyond the shitty narratives that are out there, right? Like, I mean, when we're saying that you're bad because of X, Y, and Z and things that may be out of your control, that's feeding that narrative that like, oh my God, we had a caller the other day who was buckling their kid into the car seat and like five point harness slips and pops the kid in the chin and then like feels like shit, right? And then, but also it was a thing that just happened and we could have turned that into a nightmare scenario, right? Like it, you're not a shitty parent. It's something that happened. And I just appreciate you taking that time well, to put that in your book. Thank you. And maybe maybe that's the note to end on that I... I truly do not believe there is such a thing as a shitty parent. And I will never, no matter how shitty your parenting is, I will right. never call you a shitty parent. I think you're a parent. If you are struggling with some of these big issues, I truly deeply believe that you're a parent who doesn't currently have the resources, support, and information you need. And yeah. it's it's impossible to parent well when you don't have what you need. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. So everybody knows where to buy books. We will, though, make life a little easier for you by giving everybody a link to getting Carla's new book, which is coming out so soon. And you can always check out all the things that Carla is doing on the Carla website. CarlaNomberg.com, baby. That's right. Thank you so much for joining me again. I can't wait for you to come back in another two to three years to see where the evolution has taken us. That, is there anything more to explore besides this? Did you already forget that I'm now the co-host, Biz? All right, you're the co-host of what, so I'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, awesome. Be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.
One Bad Mother is supported in part by Dipsy. Are you feeling a little anxious and overwhelmed? <laughs> are you a parent? These feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. Do you remember what the mood is? With Dipsy, you can focus just on what makes you feel good. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. And new content is released every week. And what I really like about Dipsy is you have a huge variety of stories you can pick from. That is what's fun about Dipsy. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash badmother. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash badmother. Dipsystories.com slash badmother. Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius. Genius me. Biz. Okay. I will. My genius is that I am still in the Lego sweet spot with Ellis. I know I've talked about it, but I want to reemphasize it because it's still going. It is the, my job is solely peace finder, okay? I've given up many years ago on keeping things organized. Though sometimes if it's just something I want to do, I'll start putting all the grays together or all the little wrenches together or all the little, like the stuff he's always going to ask for. And they happily build and I happily root through bins of Legos looking for little mysteries to find. I'm like an archaeologist. That's why I tell myself, it's biz. The archaeologist who's out on their dig. What treasures will they find? We don't have one of those. Aha, we do. We do have a little clear globe that can be put on. Aha, right? And I gotta tell you, I can spend like like an hour or so in there. And we've technically had Mama Ellis time. I've just kind of sat around rooting through shit. And it's been really great. It's still going great. Hi, Biz. This is a genius, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I made and went to my first therapy appointment today. I've been saying I should go to therapy for years. We probably all should, right? (laughs) Um, I just have so many things going on at once right now that I just finally did it. I just made the appointment. It was virtual, so I did it in my car, which is pretty much the only quiet place I can do it outside of the therapist's office. (laughs) And I asked my partner to get off work a little early to pick up our daughter from daycare so that I had time to do this because otherwise I didn't have time to do this. And I just did it. And honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet, but 
I did it, and uh, I told her all the things, and we'll see how it goes. And then I picked up pizza for dinner, and um, they're like individual pizzas, one for each of us. And I just sat here in the driveway of the or in the parking lot of the pizza place and ate half of mine before I drive the like three blocks <laughs> back to my home. <laughs> Because I know that once I walk through the door, I will not be able to sit down and eat immediately. And I'm hungry. So yeah, maybe that's a genius, too. <laughs> Thanks. I really appreciate the show, the hotline. You're doing a great job. Bye. You are also doing a great job. God, that's so good. <laughs> I love it so much. I love that you signed up for I'm not going to use all that bullshit language of like you made yourself a priority blah, blah, blah. I mean you did yay yay but like finding the therapist calling getting the appointment being pissed that it can't be as soon as you want it to be right or god they can't see you but you might have whatever it's always like not the easiest thing to do I mean it is in the grand scheme of life everybody but you we all know where I'm going with this, okay? When you are surrounded by work, kid responsibilities, other commitments, making this one can be really hard. And good job doing it virtually from your car. That is an option. That is a gift. Good job taking that. That counts. You get points for that. Also, good job saying, I don't know how I feel about it yet. That's also good, okay? That is a good way to approach this. And pizza, look at, look at that therapy already working. You ate that pizza in your car <laughs> three blocks from your house because you know you are doing such a good job. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. All right. Raiden's birthday was in August, the beginning of August. And we had planned this birthday party. They wanted to go to this, like, chain, this spaghetti chain, Buco de Peppo. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong, too. But we've always called it Buco de Peppo. And then, like, Raiden's like, I think it's Buco de Beppo. And I'm like, I don't know. It's Buco de Peppo. Anyway, we've gone there for their birthday every year. And they wanted to go this year. But this year, because they turned 13, it was going to be them and six of their friends, right? And we were going to let them have their own table. And then we were going to sit somewhere else. And now flashback to when I turned 13 in the 80s, very early 80s. My parents surprised me. I was, we were also going to be going to a popular chain you may have heard of, Showbiz Pizza later turned into Chuck E. Cheese, showbiz. And all my like, you know, five or six friends came over to the house and we were all going to go to showbiz pizza. But then the doorbell rang and I answered the door and there's a man there with a little hat. And he says, uh, Elizabeth Ellis. And I was like, yes. And he goes, your limousine is waiting. And we look out and there is a white stretch limo or no, it's black stretch limo. And we all like, ah, like, like right out. Woo! And we got to drive around by ourselves in the limo, yelling at people and being obnoxious 13-year-olds. Let's come back to now. And I thought, we should do something like that for Raiden. 
This would be really nice. I got a neighbor. I know they run like a limo rental place, like party bus place. And we do it. My mother's like, you should. 13 only comes once. I'm going to pay for it. And I was like, okay. And we order the limo. It turned out to be a party bus. I should have been clearer. But, you know, you're working with your neighbor. It is a party bus. And it pulls up. And Raiden and their friends are like, huh. <laughs> and as soon as they get on that party bus with that stripper pole, I think to myself, what have I done? I have a child who I know gets motion sick. I know gets motion sick. And I am putting them all hungry on a party bus with a stripper pole and a dancing pole. And they're gonna, I was gonna let them drive around for like 40 minutes before they had to get to Buco de Pepo. Five minutes in, I get a text from Raiden. <laughs> How long are we gonna be on this? Cause we're, we're like on the other side of town from Buco de Pepo. And I'm like, 40 minutes of just fun drive around time in a party bus? Oh, do you, do you think we could not? <laughs> like, look, this is not an ungrateful child, okay? This is just a general, I was actually sharing this with my therapist today, and she and I both began to laugh and began to wonder, perhaps generationally, this is not a thing. I, at 13, when I saw Lomo, I was like, I am hot shit like Eddie Murphy, right? Like, that's how I felt. Like, I felt like I was in a, I don't know some hot shit movie that may not be as impressive to this new generation. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll call the driver and I just go on to Bogota to Papa. I will say on the way home, they figured out how to use a party bus and they were like dangerously standing up and dancing around, like whatever, making videos and having fun. And Raiden came in and was like, I, that was fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But the entire time, the, from the moment that party bus took off. I thought this was a mistake. This was a fail. This is my child. I should know better than to have put a motion sick child onto a party bus. And then I also just kind of felt like shit for doing it. I was like, and then Stefan was like, it's okay. And I'm like, no, oh, I feel like shit. I'll get over it. I just feel like, why did I even do that? So, uh, winning. Hey, Biz. I'm calling with a pretty funny fail. I um, went to go take care of my leg hair today, which usually is, um, you know, I'm an epilator kind of gal, so it's like a little handheld thing. It's essentially a bunch of tweezers, tweezers that your leg hair. Anyways, it's, it's a time commitment to do. It takes a decent amount of time, and I was not paying attention when I sat down to start that process today. <laughs> And then my alarm went off to go pick up the kids from their respective places, and I am three quarters of the way done mm. one leg. Didn't even touch the other one, so mm. now I'm walking around half groomed, and hopefully nobody will notice. What a delightful fail this was. Thanks for the show. At least it wasn't like a bikini party. <laughs> well, you're right. You failed at only grooming half of your body, not even a whole half. And just so it keeps you up at night, everybody saw, everybody was looking. 
And then they had really long conversations about it and opinions as to your grooming. At least you remember to pick your kid up. I thought the story was going towards. And then I looked up and it was five. (laughs) Or it was eight o'clock at night. You're doing a horrible job taking care of yourself. Congratulations. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you. I love you. Are elephants right-handed? What's the middlest size in the universe? What is the history of fan fiction? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say f***. <laughs> on the trailer (laughs) subscribe to let's learn everything every other thursday on maximum fun are you ready to binge watch something old the greatest generation is a podcast about star trek by a couple of hosts a little bit embarrassed to even have a star trek podcast hosted by me ben harrison and me adam pranica we get into the critical the technical the science fictional aspects of the show we love while roasting it and each other at the same time. We've completed an entire series about Star Trek The Next Generation and another one about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and we've just begun Star Trek Voyager. So now is a great time to start watching a new Star Trek series with us. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and become a friend of DeSoto today. All right, everybody, it's time to listen to a mom have a breakdown. Hi, this is a rant. I know you're always joking about kids that are brighter, but my kids did a kid at preschool today. Two kids, actually, within a, a couple minutes of each other. And, you know, she's 17 months old. I put her in a daycare because... I just wanted her to have something stable, and that was hers when our new baby comes. And I'm about to have this baby, like, any day. If anyone else tells me how big I am or how soon he's going to be here, I'm going to lose it. So we put her in early before we were ready. She's been doing great. She's been in for months, months and months and months, all because we wanted her to have something for right now. And... um they have a three strikes policy, so if she does it two more times, she's expelled from from kindergarten or whatever it is, daycare. Um, but, of course, we waited on a waiting list for a year to get in, and it's our ticket into preschool, not only for her, but for our kid who I'm about to have. Did I mention I'm about to push a baby out of my vagina at any moment? So, um, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. She doesn't have words and she's got feelings. Um, and some kid pointed in her face and yelled at her. So she bit his arm. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I do not know what to do. 
and I'm just so frustrated. So thanks for providing this space. Uh, if you got any hot tips, let me know. First of all, you're doing a really good job. And I appreciate you calling this in. We, I, You're right. We have in the past and occasionally still do joke about the biters, right? There's the runners. There are the, I'm going to say inappropriate things in an elevator to strangers kid. You're right. And I want to say that it's something we can acknowledge on the show because it's really common. It is really common. Now, it doesn't feel like it when our kid is the one who did. Let's all remember, Ellis took like a chunk out of my shoulder in the middle of like an elementary school performance where Raiden was going to be doing like pratfalls in kindergarten for the talent show, right? Like it's a lot. And it would maybe make us all feel better if in our preschool, like there were four or five kids who were expressing themselves with biting. Right? Because you're right. They're 20 months old. I mean, <laughs> of course they're biting people. I got, I'm just like, it is. <sighs> that is really hard to be like where you are right now. You've done such an amazing job trying to prepare not only your child for the arrival of this new baby and having them have a space that's theirs. You were also some sort of like super genius in that this is also setting up space for you and your partner during these early months of an infant in your house. That is great. And three strikes that I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to navigate any of that either. Right. Because I don't think when kids bite, that it's a malicious anything, that it's anything anybody could prevent or do. I mean, if somebody came up and pointed in my face and screamed, if I didn't bite them, I would have punched them at that age, you know, or screamed back or whatever. You are literally about to push a baby out of you. Maybe. I don't know, maybe it's going to come out of your ear. But somehow a baby is coming out of you really soon. I am surprised you aren't biting people right now. I'm surprised you didn't just walk right into that school when you got the call, bit somebody in there. I actually would like to see the statistics of where kids who bite grow up to be. I want to see those, right? Like, I bet there are some serious, great thinkers Right? I ain't got no time for you. I'm in the middle of thinking. I'm in the middle of doing stuff. I can't communicate yet because I'm only 20 months old. I got time. I, how do I get you out of my face so I can get back to solving the equations of life? I'll just bite you and move on. Okay. I remember that time Ellis just walked up to a kid. Ellis was like two or three. And we were waiting to pick up Raiden again from elementary school. So it was like me and like another mom and their baby who, of course, was walking way earlier than Ellis. And Ellis just, like, walked up, and I was like, oh, look how cute this is going to be. <laughs> he can walk up. He's going to hug that little baby. And Ellis just shoved that kid <laughs> to the ground. And because things like that have this, like, feel of, like, as adults, we're like, violence! 
But like little kids, they're just, I don't know. They don't, they legitimately do not know any better. But I immediately remember feeling like this is my fault. I've somehow, in only two years of having this child, (laughs) already done something so crazy that he's going to go up and shove weaker babies. Okay? I know that's not true. But that, what did we just learn with Carla? Right? Like, you are not a shitty parent because your kid expressed themselves in this manner at school. You are not a shitty parent. No one raises a biter, okay? There's not a gene to it, all right? You know in your rational mind that this is something a 20-month-old who can't communicate and is in an overstimulating situation and is being confronted by a kid who's pointing and yelling in their face, where's that on the strike list? That this is actually a very natural way to express themselves, okay? All that said, it still can make you feel like shit. It still can make you feel like you've got to quote unquote do something. You said, I don't know what to do. I don't either. Go kiss your baby, right? Go kiss your baby. That's what you can go do. Go look in the mirror and be like, good job, right? Go have a baby. That's what you can do. But really, there is nothing you can do. If if I was going to be handing out unsolicited advice, which you did ask for, no one ever does. But I would say send your partner, the one not having the baby, in to begin a conversation with the teachers, right? Hey, this is a new behavior, right? You know, we didn't, whatever. We know a lot was going on. How can you, as our child's teachers, help us and help, more importantly, our child avoid situations like this? Okay? Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Or won't. I know. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. But what is something that I know is that you are not alone. This is not somehow your fault or responsibility. And that you are doing an amazing job. Your body is making a person right now and about to kick them out of your body. You haven't had anything that's yours for nine months. <laughs> so you're remarkable. Everybody, you are all remarkable. And we do joke about stuff on the show. And, and sometimes we're in a place as listeners where we think it's funny. And sometimes we're at a place where we're listeners where we're like, fuck you. <laughs> Which is Fair. That is a fair place to be. I What I love about talking with Carla, it's what we have been digging at on this show since the beginning. And it is why I am so glad there are people smarter than me digging into this out in the world. Why is it we are the first ones to beat ourselves up? Why are we the first ones to tear ourselves apart. I still am not sure I know the answer. I would like to blame a lot of people. 
Okay, so look at me. I'm no longer blaming myself. I am pointing the finger at everybody else. I don't know. But I feel like just like the you're doing a good job mantra that we share on this show helps us somehow. (laughs) I think the work that Carla's doing and this notion of feeling like shit This like immediate first step we go to after experiencing something difficult is really not very nice. It's not compassionate. And I don't know how any of us are supposed to find time in the day to help ourselves feel this way, to reflect, to like not beat ourselves up. I don't don't know. My goal is to do it less than I was doing it yesterday. That is my wish for all of us. I'm going to beat myself up a little less than I did yesterday. You are all doing a really good job. I see you, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blue. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that's right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. Oh, said daddy, baby, bustin' by, got low down mama blues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.